Hi, I'm Jordan. And I'm Kit. Welcome to Starry Time, where stars plus lines equal stories. On this month's podcast, we are going to be visiting Aries, the ram of the night sky. The constellation Aries is the second smallest zodiac constellation, and the smallest one is our favorite seagoat dad slash war hero, Capricornus. I mean, that makes sense. A ram is bigger than a seagoat, you know? I mean, are you sure a seagoat? Might have to just follow the IAU's lead on this one. Yeah, so it is ranked 38th in size of all of the 88 IAU recognized constellations. So it's the second smallest zodiac, but it is sort of in the middle for all of the constellations at large. Perfect. It's also one of Ptolemy's great, 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 48 constellations. <laughs> so it's an old one that goes back to classical times, of course. The stars that comprise the actual constellation have varied across time and space, and now the IU really only recognizes this more of an asterism rather than a full-blown constellation. So again, they're mostly using Aries to describe a section of space rather than just a pattern of stars. Speaking of patterns in the stars, if we were trying to find the asterism of Aries, what should we be looking for, Jordan? Yeah, this is a tough one. I looked at <laughs> mm-hmm. it. It kind of has like a hook shape or a rope shape, like maybe a ski lift. Mm. It's just like something like a diagonal, very linear and simple. Definitely can't get to a ramp again. Uh, again, the imagination yeah. of these people, uh, really got to give them credit. Uh, maybe it's the back of a ram, like uh, the spine of one, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What What do you see, Kit? Oh, I do like the ski lifts, like the little ski lifts that you grab. Remember those ones you'd like grab onto and it would like pull you up on like the kitty hill? Yeah, I love um, to watch kids wipe out on that for <laughs> sure. Oh, that I didn't see that, but I do see it now that you mention it. Um, I definitely saw like that fish hook, like hook shape for sure. I tried to sort of get to Florida too. I sort of saw Florida. Oh, I'm sure you are just projecting a desire to get back to Universal Studios. I mean, there's a panhandle. Sure, sure, um, sure. We have to go back. We have to go back. Okay, so Florida's a stretch. Um, and I guess if you really, I guess if you're being really generous, you could get to like half of the ram symbol. Um, but this one isn't even a polygon. Yeah, it's not even a complete shape. So mm-hmm. definitely Constellation seems a bit of an overstatement. Good thing the IAU is putting it in its place. You know, put the brakes on full Constellation. <laughs> but it still does demarcate a part of the night sky between Pisces and Taurus. It has a right extension of three hours and a declination of 20 degrees. And you can star hop from the Pleiades asterism and the Great Square of Sagittarius to find it. It's tough, though, because it's a really faint, almost constellation slash asterism. So good luck trying to find it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, although if you are looking for it, you'll want to look in November and December. And that's due to the wibbly-wobbly Earth axis that we discussed in episode one on Capricornus. That's going to be important later. You better stay tuned. Okay, Kit. So now we know where it is. We have a vague idea that it's some sort of hook panhandle thing. Can we talk about the stars that comprise this asterism, Aries? Definitely. So unlike Pisces, there are only four stars in this asterism. So I think we can actually run through all of them. What do you think? Let's give it a try. I mean, as long as we don't get distracted by galactic bulges and well-defined <laughs> arms this time. Let's see what happens. No promises. Uh, <laughs> always looking for a galactic bolt. Okay. Surprise of surprise. You are going to love this. 
the brightest star in the asterism is Alpha Aritis. Slam dunk for our guy, Johan Bear. This might be the first one he's gotten right in mm-hmm. all four episodes. Constellations maybe aren't his thing. Maybe he's the king of asterisms. <laughs> but finally, nice to see this guy get one right. Yeah. So Alpha Aritis is also known by the name Hamel, which is derived from an Arabic phrase meaning head of the ram. And this star is actually the 50th brightest star in the night sky with an apparent magnitude of 2.0. And it's 65.8 light years from Earth and is an orange giant star with a Jupiter-sized exoplanet. Also, it's mentioned by name in John Milton's Paradise Lost, so it has a little literary shine on it as well. Mm-hmm, a little fun fact for you. The second brightest star? Wait, no, this can't be right. Is this <laughs> Beta Orionis? Is this a two for two for Bayer? An incredible run for our guy. Beta Orionis is also called Sheraton. But even though Bayer did get the brightness right, this is, again, not just one star, but a binary star system. But to be fair to Bayer, which we usually aren't, because, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to dunk on people who are very long dead. But the two stars are actually a spectroscopic binary system, meaning that we actually can't tell them apart with our telescopes. And we know that there are two of them, I guess, because of math. Touche, Bayer. You have an excuse this time. <laughs> Anyways, these two stars are in elliptical orbit where they get as close as 0.8 AU from each other. And this system is a bit closer than Alpha Aritis, and it's located 59.6 light years from Earth. Mm-hmm. And the third brightest star, more predictably, breaks Bayer's, you know, quite respectable streak here, and it's called 41 Aritis. Wait, f- 40, 41? <laughs> Aren't mm-hmm. Bayer designations... Greek, what what the hell is 41? (laughs) Good question. So the numbers are actually what are called a Flamsteed designation. Ah, yes, of course. I'm assuming that's uh, Sir Flamsteed. What's going on with this? Um, Yeah, we'll probably need an asterism to do some additional history on this because there's some like funny and like, you know, silly things about uh, Flamsteed, the Flamsteed designation. But indeed, it was named after John Flamsteed, who used a telescope to compile a star catalog in the 1700s. And rather than the Greek letter scheme that Bayer used, Flamsteed used numbers in the genitive Latin case. So nowadays, in cases where a Bayer designation isn't present, the Flamsteed designation is used. So this gives us 41 Aritis, which is actually a three-star system with a total of five stars, I think. Whoa, okay, a lot to take in there. First of all, great name, Flamsteed, I'll give them that. But wait, three-star system... Mm -hmm. With five stars? Did I hear that right? So mm-hmm. there's got to be like some binary stars in there or something, right? It's a little hard to disentangle to like count up all of the stars. My understanding is there's a binary star system, which is the primary system. And then there are three single star systems. But there, some of them are just optical pairs uh, where they look close together in the sky but aren't, aren't that close together. So I, I think it's a total of five. It might be four. The naming gets really difficult to sort of unpack because there's like uppercase letters and lowercase letters and numbers and somebody out there has the time to unpack that, let me know. Uh, but what I do know is that the primary system is a binary star system, as I said, and the brighter star in this system is called Barani, and it is a blue-white main sequence star that's 166 light years from Earth. That brings us to the final star in the asterism, 
gamma-oritis or mesarthum. Gamma-oritis is another binary star system, so the name is indicating the brighter of the two stars. The orbital period for the two stars is about 5,000 years, mm. and the system is 164 light years from the sun. The brighter star is a white main sequence star that some astronomers believe is on its way to becoming a subgiant. And it is an Alpha 2 or an Alpha squared Canum Venetacorum variable star. Oh my goodness. A no. plus pronunciation. <laughs> uh, and we'll explain what that is one day, right? Kit? One day. Yeah, one day. But not today. Because <laughs> there are a few other interesting things about Masartham and the other stars named in Aries. Yeah, so Misarthrum and Sheraton actually used to share the same name and were considered one of the horns of Aries, while Hamel was considered the second horn. Yeah, the horns that I didn't see at all in this constellation. Yeah, nor did I. And I wonder if it's because the IAU constellation differs from the Greco-Roman version, which has more stars in it. So yeah, I don't really, I don't see the two horns, although I, you know, I believe that, <laughs> I believe that they were once there. But you will like this, which is that these two stars shared the same name, but they were split by bear because he mistranslated something in hebrew so he was like yep it's two different things and it wasn't another l for our guy bear okay things are starting to make sense again back on track <laughs> the world suddenly shifts back uh, to its rightful place i mean um, hey hebrew's not easy my guy bear but maybe you should have gotten an assistant right gotten some help it's always good to ask for help when you need it miss arthrum is also called the first point of aries or the cusp of aries and it was named this by hipparchus of nicaea uh-oh are you getting a little astrological on me now <laughs> cusp of aries does sound very uh extremely very... <laughs> but you know i would never break the rules no that's my uh, job <laughs> so hipparchus Hippo- Hippo- what did we decide on his name hipparchus Hipparchus, Hipparchus, whatever you, I mean, he's not here to argue with us. So whatever we go with, uh, if we get it wrong, just let us know. We're open to, uh, you know, learning. I'm open to trying repeatedly to get a name right. Or Um, wrong, because sometimes it's more fun. Or wrong. So Hipparchus was an astronomer who named this star the first point of Aries or the cusp of Aries because it was in the vernal equinox in his time. And so it's a little bit confusing because astronomers use the word equinox to both describe a time as well as a specific place in the celestial sphere. So in this case, it's describing a place on the celestial sphere, which is hard to say. You're nailing it. (laughs) Thank you. Where the celestial equator and the ecliptic cross. So in this case, he's actually identifying a direction rather than a period of time. And so this intersection of the equator and the ecliptic cross in two places, and one of these places used to be in Aries. But because of the wibbly-wobbly Earth, these points have moved, and now this point is actually in Pisces. But since we're still wibbly-wobbling, lest we forget, Mm -hmm. they will eventually make their return to the original places, correct? Yeah, in about 25,000 years. But yeah, so speaking, though, of astrology, which is your favorite, I know. No, I mean, it's your favorite. Your favorite? Our favorite. (laughs) We both love astrology. Well, we both do very highly uh, resonate with our astrological sign, I feel like. We talk about it a lot. We contain multitudes. (laughs) That we do. So Aries was selected as the beginning of the sun's travel through the celestial sphere, and that's actually why it's really often listed first when you look at horoscopes. Aries is usually the first one because of this kind of arbitrary decision to pick this point in the sphere. 
I'm into it, though. I mean, let's have it be spring. Let's have mm-hmm. that be the new year. That makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a ton of interesting stuff related to navigation and these equinoxes. And let's try to put in an Asterism mini episode list. Maybe we can get that out there, too. Yeah, definitely. All right. Now that we've discussed all the four stars in the Asterism, let's take a quick break. And then I'm pretty excited to reveal my gold star <laughs> recipient of the month. Welcome back to our segment, Gold Star, where Jordan and I alternate picking the star or space object in our constellation of the month that captures our mind, our heart, our soul, (laughs) all of those things. So this month, Jordan got to pick the Gold Star of the month, and I gotta say, I was kinda happy not to have this one, because the the pickings are slim, so where did you go? Yeah, I'm gonna get right to the point. Usually we list our candidates, (laughs) try to break down how we got there, but no. For my Gold Star (laughs) this month, I'm definitely choosing... Tea Garden Star. TD Garden Star? Yep, it's sponsored by TD Garden <laughs> Bank. It's the Celtics uh, constellation. I mean, I wish, you wish, maybe, I don't know. Oh, I do. Uh, tell me more about this star, though. Okay, great. Tea Garden Star, not sponsored by TD Garden Bank, is an M-type red dwarf with an approximate calculated mass of 0.08 times that of the sun. So it's just barely above the limit of what would be called a brown dwarf star. It's about 12 light years from the solar system, and it was found in 2003 by astrophysicists led by Bonner J. Teagarden, working for NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. 2003? That's recent. Yeah, this isn't on Ptolemy's list. He didn't find this one. (laughs) How did they find it? This is an interesting story, actually, and one of the reasons why it's my gold star. Basically, Teagarden's team started looking for dwarf stars in asteroid tracking data that had been collected. I'm not sure exactly when, but some point earlier in time, they had a hypothesis that these small, dim stars might have been maybe ignored in previous stellar population surveys. Wow, they were able to confirm their hypothesis. What a concept. I mean, hey, they found Teagarden's star. This is a great episode for math as astronomical object finder, for sure. Yeah, better than Van Mons. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's basically a newly discovered, very close, mostly almost dwarf star. I like that. Oh, and that's not all, Kit. Mm. Keeping up with the theme of my previous gold star, Trappist One, Tea Garden Star also has a few planets, two out of three, that have been announced by researchers that have Earth mass exoplanets in our favorite. The Habitable Zone, Ooh. and these planets are very creatively named. They are Teagarden Star B and Teagarden Star C. <laughs> the naming is just, it's it, its a lot. Yeah, I could definitely use a lot of, like, everything here, 41, yeah. They should just, like, hire some, like, you know, sci-fi writers to just uh, name all of these. Yeah, like, Star Trek writers, just get them in the... <laughs> In the IAU already. Yeah, these names could definitely use a little workshopping. Mm-hmm. So, Tea Garden Star B orbits inside what's known as the optimistic habitable zone. So, that's like the best of the best. It's the equivalent of the solar system here that would be between Earth and Venus. And then we got Tea Garden Star C, which orbits on what's called the conservative habitable zone, similar in respect to our solar system to where Mars would be. Mm. Excitingly, though, according to one group of researchers, both planets could have maintained a dense atmosphere, and there is not a small, not a medium, but a high likelihood 
that at least one may harbor liquid water. Oh, we love water. And having a backup plan because we're definitely going to need it. And gosh, I hope the ingenuity of astronomy gets us there. Well, there you have it. This was a great choice. Welcome to the gold star of the month club, Tea Garden Star. Or should we say the almost dwarf star? Should we? It's it's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to tell and break down the myths of Aries. Okay, since I've embarrassed myself enough on this segment, Jordan, what did you remember about the story of Aries? Yeah, I guess it's my turn to embarrass myself here. I mean, my first thought was it had something to do with Ares, God of War, A-R-E-S. Mm-hmm. So I assume it had something to do with that god for some reason. I mean, I knew it was a ram. Maybe I thought it was like a war ram, a fire ram. I don't know exactly why I got confused there. Yeah, I also thought it had to do with the god of war somehow. Yeah, I asked other people, and they also said that. I mean, it might have something to do with the astrology element, Aries being a fire sign, Mars a red planet. You can sort of see how that misconception could arise if you haven't thought about the myth in a long time. But, of course, that has nothing to do with that. We were all absolutely wrong. Yeah, we were. And I really didn't see any explanation for why these names are so similar. In fact, Aries with an I is just the Latin name for a ram versus Aries without an I, which I guess is just a proper noun. I, I really couldn't find any reason why their their names are so similar. It's really not clear how this happened. It's like having two characters in a book with similar names but aren't related, you know? Which is something that most authors try to, like, actively avoid because it's confusing. It's important to have some clarity here. But all right, let's get into the one common myth of which there are a few variants and alternative endings that is linked to the constellation Aries in Greek mythology. To put it simply, Aries was a golden ram. Not just a golden ram, the golden mm. ram, who, <laughs> whose fleece we hear about in the myths of Jason and the Argonauts. Yes, the golden ram, proper name, Chrysomalos. This golden ram gets its place in the stars for saving Phrixus from a horrible death. But who's Phrixus? And why does he need saving? That's a long story. Ooh, this one is juicy. Yeah, let's start it off. Phrixus is the son of Athamas, the king of Bochiochia, Boeotia. <laughs> I'm going to ask your help on this one. I have no idea. There's so many vowels in a row. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like the worst person to yeah. ask. B-O-E-O-T-I-A. Uh, Just pause to let the, let the listeners try out how they would pronounce yeah. it. If you got a better take on it, I'm going to go with Bochiochia because it's the most fun to say, but definitely I'm butchering it. Anyways, back to Phrixus. He's a twin. He has a sister named Heli, and his mother is Nephil, a cloud nymph. Shout out to those underappreciated nymphs. Nephil also has an interesting backstory, and it includes her sometimes being identified as the mother of centaurs. I'm just remembering that Parks and Rec episode where Leslie Nope is painted as a centaur. I thought she'd be a pretty good mother of centaurs. Canon is flexible. Great. Uh, Greco-Roman canon especially. Yep. But basically, Neffel's backstory is that Zeus creates her out of the clouds to trick a mortal who was into Hera. Classic. Great use of Zeus's time, uh-huh. as always. Yep. 
So Nephil ends up marrying this king of Bochiochia and having these twins, Phrixus and Heli. Now, either Nephil leaves them because she misses the clouds or her husband divorces her. For some reason or another, they break up. Athamas remarries a mortal woman named Ino or Eno. For some reason, Eno takes an instant dislike mm-hmm. to these stepkids. And she hates them so much that she starts concocting a pretty devious plan to get rid of them. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. So her evil plan is to create starvation throughout the kingdom by ruining all the crops so there won't be any food available. Yeah, you know, you hate your stepkids, so you just create a famine. Totally healthy, totally normal. What a great reaction to your feelings. Perfect reaction. And it's not clear exactly how she starts this famine, poisoning the crops or what. But anyways, the farmers seek out advice from the Oracle of Delphi, or maybe it's another oracle. But anyways, I know bribes the farmer, and they tell the king that the oracle demanded that the only way to stop the famine would be to have Phrixus and Heli sacrificed. I mean, that does sound like something an oracle would say. I mean, it makes sense. Oracles love a sacrifice, Mm -hmm. and it was enough to convince the king. I guess. Except a little hitch in the problem. Mm -hmm. Someone informed Nephil, the birth mother, of course, of the twins, and she finds out they're being sentenced to death. And, you know, usually mom doesn't like their kids being the scapegoat for a famine created by an evil stepmom. So she sends a flying golden ram to rescue Phrixus and Heli before they have to meet this horrible fate. Phrixus and Heli, they grab hold of this winged ram, and they fly off to safety. However... They only get halfway there. Phrixus winds up fine. Heli, for some reason or another, falls to her death somewhere between the Mediterranean and the Black Sea as she loses her hold on the ram. Unclear why this flying <laughs> ram doesn't just swoop down to save her. We, we don't know. But to this straight, to this day, is still named after her. And it's called, of course, the Hellspont. Well, I mean, the ram didn't really do the job. It doesn't seem like he should get into the stars for this. I mean, is it his fault that Heli can't hang on? I don't know. What was Frixis doing? Grab your sister. What is going on here? Anyways, you're in luck because things don't actually wind up going so well for our friend Golden Ram. After safely delivering Frixis to the town of Colchis, where King Aedes takes him in and gives him his daughter's hand, Frixis shears the ram of the golden fleece and then gifts that to his new father-in-law and sacrifices the ram to zeus oh my god what what a thank you what a thank thank you for saving my life now uh now you're you're shaved and dead oh my gosh maybe he was just mad about hele Hard to tell. The story's already pretty wild, but the addendums and alternative versions that tie it into broader Greek mythology definitely even add more to the melodrama. For sure. And there are sort of three iterations of the myth. In one version, the myth itself stays the same, but there is a B-plot. Ah, yes, yes, yes. In the B-plot, Zeus has asked Ino and Althamus to care for Dionysus, who in some versions of the canon is the son of Zeus and, let's just say, not Hera. Shocker! (laughs) So probably in this case, Dionysus is the son of Zeus and the mortal Semel, 
who Hera is, of course, jealous of. And so Zeus asks the king and queen to keep Dionysus hidden from Hera. And this doesn't go well because Hera does find out. Yet again. Shocker. And as usual, Hera is irate. Yeah, not impressed. Really unclear why she stays with this guy, but yeah, not impressed. No, not at all. And so she, in vengeance, causes both Althamus and Eno to go mad, which is what causes Eno to try to murder the twins. See, yes, here it all comes back to the queen of all evil stepmothers, Hera. Yes, definitely. And in an alternative version of the myth, it says that Hera was the person that set up Nephile and Althamus. So in that version of the myth, I'm not really sure that the B-plot is still part of it. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. It's kind of contradictory because, like, if she set them up, why is she trying to kill the kids? Mm. But there's also a different version where Zeus is the one who sets them up. So, I don't know. That part's pretty unclear. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Although, I wouldn't put it past Hera to set them up and then also try to get the kids murdered. She, you know. (laughs) Hera's got a lot on her mind and uh, murders often up there. The last common version of the myth actually has Hercules as sending the golden ram to save the children. So this whole thing in this version is just an extension of the Hera-Hercules strife. Yeah, so maybe that's a retcon that they did to get the smaller myth to fit in with the larger GMU, Greek mythology universe. (laughs) GMU. Yeah, and I think it's also, again, a good reminder how fluid and flexible these narratives can be, which is likely linked to the oral tradition that they come from. Exactly. They get passed down, they get passed down and reimagined generation by generation. All right, Kit, before we do our reconciliation of this one, let's talk a little bit about the themes here that we see. How'd you feel about this one? What'd you think about this one? So right away after reading the myth, I think I messaged you, evil stepmother trope activated. Can confirm. I got the receipt. You did send that. Yeah, so that's what I noticed automatically when I read the central myth. Eno is obviously filling this function, but so is Hera in a lot of these ways. And we do see this wicked stepmother tropes a lot in popular culture. And this really got me thinking about the social origins of this myth or trope more broadly. So I, you know, did a little thinking and researching and it led me to some evolutionary psychology Mm -hmm. and hypotheses that try to explain why there does seem to be higher rates of child maltreatment by step parents than by biological or adoptive parents. Um, Although that research, there's some problems with it, you know, all the caveats, but in general, Um, You know, I don't really want to deep dive into that, but I do think that ultimately these wicked stepmother tropes make a lot of sense in cultures and times and spaces that really strongly link family to biological relatedness and place more value on those types of kinship relationships so that if you're not biologically related, you should be treated with suspicion. Perfect breakdown. Yeah, and I wonder if these tropes focus more on stepmothers rather than stepfathers, just because of the assumptions and normative expectations that women are naturally maternal and love mm-hmm. children, and it's just a better story to have a woman behaving this way, and particularly abhorrent in these cultures that connect womanness to motherhood. 
Yeah, definitely, because this myth really does cast Eno in such a negative light. And so in a way, these myths reinforce gendered norms that there's something particularly evil or villainous about a woman who doesn't care for children. And of course, an evil stepmother in this story, as well as in many other stories, is a pure villain, one that is both worthy of and easy for a reader or a listener to hate. And in that way, this story really does operate Mostly in terms of proper nouns and archetypes, really. You know, we don't know a lot about Phrixus. We don't know a lot about Heli. All these characters serve more as, like, universals for the plot. The listener can project personality and even motivation. So we don't know too much about them. They signify they're a son, they're a daughter, they're a stepmother, they're a king. But if anything, this myth doesn't seem to be too interested in getting into character development. Actually, we might not have any character development really it's just a good versus evil scenario playing out and then a magic ram coming to the rescue <laughs> definitely and i i wonder to some extent if this is one of the sort of original trope generators mm. of evil stepmother and we see so much of these myths just like this one does ignore the king right ignore the father just lets them completely off the hook i mean why is he convinced right away let's kill these kids stop this famine king these are your kids bro <laughs> Yeah. These are these are very common in these wicked stepmother narratives, like Cinderella. The king just gets absolved of anything. Hey, like, Dad, where are you at? These are your kids, bro. Right. Another curious choice, if we're going to be talking about themes and analysis here, is Helly's death. What's up with that? Why did she die? Like, what did she do? I just, what? Yeah, I mean, aside from being the girl child, you mean, right? Uh, yeah, a bit of a coincidence there, isn't it? Yeah. Just a bit of a coincidence. Though I guess she is memorialized with the Hellspawn at least, so they don't do her completely dirty. Well, besides killing her for no reason. Well, besides that, besides that. <laughs> Overall, I think as we discussed, this myth actually has a gold lining, Ooh. which is that Eno is definitely the villain, and her plan isn't successful. So read pretty generously, aside from all the weird gendered stuff here, Heli's death, all the villains are women, and Neffel just kind of being erased, there's a conclusion that bad stepmothers are bad, and that justice will be served if they try to harm their innocent stepchildren. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. Definitely isn't the most complicated one here. So let's take a quick break, and let's see what we can do to wreck Constellation this myth. Welcome back. In this segment, Ret Constellation, we try to retell, complicate, or sometimes completely reboot the myths of the Constellation of the Month to make them less problematic, to modernize them, or sometimes just so that they generally have anything to do with anything related to the iconography. So, Jordan, how are we going to make this story better? I mean, there's definitely different ways you could go with this one here, considering it's such a blank slate. It all depends on how much you want to change. I mean, we've kind of discussed the wicked stepmother trope, and it's pretty much a dangerous one if it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know? So how can we tell a story about reformed families or blended families that aren't just, like, the Brady Bunch? Which, of course, you know, dodges a good question entirely by making the dude a winner or a winner. How do we do that? Yeah, what does a story about a good stepmother and a healthy, blended family, what does it really look like? Exactly. And there are a lot of options here. 
It could be a story of Eno and Neffel becoming friends and having a good relationship and the kids all get along. So that's pretty simple. What if Eno and Neffel have to work together for some common goal? What if Eno catches on that Hera's been messing with her mind and controlling her and they work together to try to force Hera to, you know, back mm -hmm. off from this behavior? They could join forces, fight back together. Maybe Neffel and Eno trick Hera into riding the ram who then bucks her off to her death. <laughs> Hera's plot. I mean, Hera's, Hera's point. I do like the idea of collective action. And I guess I would put a different twist on it because we're always talking about how powerful nymphs are. And so I'm wondering what it, this story would be like if Neffel joined up with the other nymphs to hold Zeus accountable for allowing Hera to mess with all these mortals because of his behaviors, his infidelities. He's allowing Hera to punish people because of his children that aren't hers, because of her jealousy towards her stepchildren. So in in thinking about it, I wonder if the nymph collective basically tells Zeus, like, Stop it, or we will stop doing our duties. You know, rain, clouds, uh, springs of water. The whole weather system of Earth, basically. Just falls apart. And yep. so then, of course, we have to bring the ram in. So maybe the ram is their conduit or messenger or something like that. Either way, at least it's not inherently just a black and white us versus them conflict that way or a new wife versus ex-wife cliche. We need less of those stories where children are punished just for the sins of their parents. Yeah, it'd be great to have better models of behavior rather than the stories that just reinforce the expectation that step-parents will be bad parents. Okay, let's say you buy into our earlier analysis that, you know, Eno's plan fails, so the story doesn't have some terrible lessons, but I have a very different wreck constellation for you. Just changes one key detail, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, how about Frixis, my guy? How about you don't kill the ram that just <laughs> saved you? What the hell? I mean, did Zeus even ask you to do it? I mean, even if he did, just say no. That ram just saved your life. Should be treating him to a freaking good life for as long as he lives. A ram should have a golden palace with a golden bay of hay. Give that ram whatever he wants. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, that is also a good fix. I mean, somebody saves your life. Uh, be kind and grateful. It's not that hard. Not that hard at all. If a ram saved me personally, I'm not burning that ram. <laughs> all right. So that's just a simple choice that I'd like to wreck constantly. Anyway, do you have any other reconciliations of this myth? No, not really. I think your retcons hit the points of subverting the wicked stepmother myth or at least casting some blame on the passive father who's letting someone treat his children like this. And I also agree the ram should be allowed to live. The only other thing I can think of is that why don't we let Helle live too? It just it makes it makes no sense to me that she dies in this story. So I'd wreck consolation so both the ram and Helle survive. But yeah, I think we hit all the major change points. And we got there in the end. We can tell a slightly more nuanced story than evil stepmother takes out her hatred on innocent children. So whether it be Aino and Neffel working together, or Neffel and the nymphs, or Athamas actually taking some responsibility mm -hmm. for his actions, or Zeus maybe finally being punished for his infidelities, there's got to be a better way to tell this one. Yeah, and at the very least, our reconciliations saved the lives of the beautiful golden ram and Helle.
time to wrap things up by getting a little less serious and studious in our final segment, Pop Culture Superstar. In this segment, we share our favorite and least favorite occurrences of this month's constellation, and then we wish upon a star <laughs> what we think should exist. Do you want to get started with your favorite, Jordan? Yes. Start I was, us off? All right. My favorite might not be pop culture. Maybe it's just culture at large. But it is Mount Aries, which is a summit located within the Olympic National Park in Jefferson County of Washington State. Mm-hmm. Its neighbors include Mount Olympus to the west, mm-hmm. Mount Athena to the southwest, and Mount mm-hmm. Matthias to the northwest. Aries is wedged between the Ho Glacier and the Humes Glacier and immediately northeast of Blizzard Pass. Ooh, that sounds like Blizzard Beach. Yes, perfect. <laughs> and this site just shows as a personal favorite because I used to live in this area. I've explored this national park, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. I recommend anyone, if they want to check out just some of the finest national parks that America has to offer, go give this one a try. Climb up these mountains. You might see a ram or two. Oh, yeah, I like that choice. I think there's other mountains named Aries, but, yeah, I'll try to find some pictures of this national park to put up because that part of the country is really super beautiful. But my choice was Aries, Journal for the Study of Western Esotericism. It is a peer-reviewed journal, and I saw a couple of papers that looked intriguing, including how Jewish magic survived the disenchantment of the world. Oh, I want to check that one out for sure. Right? Uh, Compatibility of inner light of mystics and reason. Perfect. And the creation of traditional witchcraft. Great journal. (laughs) Yeah, it looked, uh, you know, I love a good peer-reviewed journal. Uh, This looked super niche. It only publishes twice a year. So, yeah, I was like, this just is a, I don't know why it's called Aries, but uh, it looks intriguing. Yeah, they're rolling with it. (laughs) And, I mean, these are interesting articles. I'd love to check this out, learn a little bit more. Can you say again what the acronym is? It's not an acronym. Oh, my bad, my bad. It's just called Aries Journal for the Study of Western Esotericism. Okay, great, yes. (laughs) So, for those of you who are interested in maybe some of the more mysterious or magical aspects of culture, check that one out. Mm -hmm. Although, we might have the same second choice. Yeah, my second choice is the the car. Did you see the car? Oh, I did see the car, but can we, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, what do you want to talk about? (laughs) I wanted to talk about Ares, which is a space strategy game that looked like Civ in space. What? No, I didn't see this at all. What? 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 Now I'm eagerly waiting this uh, Twitter post. Okay. I don't know know if it's out yet, but it looked uh, it might like it might be pre-release, but it looked like Civ in space, and I was like, well, that seems right up Jordan's alley. Yeah, I will be doing a quick little Google search after we finish this recording because always looking for a little. Sim space vibe. <laughs> All right, so we've done our favorites. Can you give me your least favorite? Yeah, I'll go first on this okay, one. Okay, great. Um, there again, there wasn't a ton to choose from. There were some things, but I ended up going with Aries Streetwear. Whoa, okay, didn't see this one at all. Yeah, so it's a streetwear company, and streetwear just in general, in in this case at least, feels strange to me because like a T-shirt. Like, a graphic t-shirt was $200. What the fresh hell? <laughs> I It was – and there were some, like, cool designs on there. I know that this brand is run by a woman, and I know that women are underrepresented in streetwear. And I know that streetwear has, like – you know, it's usually size-inclusive and gender-inclusive. And so, like, in general, this is cool. But it's just – it's too much money for a shirt. 
And it's just, it's too much. And I'd rather spend my money on other things. And there weren't a lot of choices. So that's what I went with. I'm sorry to the person who uh, runs it because uh, she seems like she's really passionate about this. But that's that's where I went. I mean, growing up in nowhere, New Hampshire, I think that's about as far away from streetwear <laughs> as you can get. So yeah. maybe we just have some like natural biases. And mm. I mean, that could be on us. But mine was, I don't know if you saw this, the computer science algorithms for recovery <laughs> and isolation exploiting uh-huh. semantics, uh-huh. Uh, which is an acronym. It's a recovery algorithm designed to work with a no-force steel database approach. It's my least favorite because it's going right over my head i could feel it like like a giant plane just whooshing by as i tried to learn what was going on here i Uh, I was really excited for you to describe it because i also saw this and i was like i do not understand any of the words in this wiki yeah it was tough all right i mean i something to do with right ahead logging and repeating history during redo the wiki gets like really into it basically none of these words make sense to me no to me no i mean someone who codes or does computer for a living is probably like you morons but anyways it was invented by some guy at ibm and i guess it's useful if you've like lost your data and it Mm -hmm. helps you like restore it or something makes no sense to me and again like you said not a ton of choices Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna go with the one that like intimidates and like scares me and (laughs) this one definitely had a little bit of both whoever created these algorithms i'm sure they're very useful but it's just such a reach of it of an acronym too you know yeah. algorithms for recovery and isolating exploiting semantics seems like kind of yeah no offense to dr mohan i mean I'm, I'm sure you're a great computer scientist but without a doubt yeah my least favorite for sure all right so we've gone over our favorites our least favorites we made some choices had a little debate now let's talk about what we wish existed with some aries branding out there I mean, you went first last time for least favorite, so I'm going to go first this time. Okay. Lay it on me. Not a complicated project. I just want the Aries Golden Fleece heated blanket. Just Mm. give me that. That's all Mm -hmm. I want. I want, like, a really fancy heated blanket. Something that, you know, makes me feel like I'm being whisked away to freedom on those cold, (laughs) cold nights. I want to be able to cuddle up next to my Aries blanket and, you know, Mm -hmm. feel feel secure and safe and warm. A luxury golden fleece heated Mm -hmm. blanket. All right. So, yeah, my pick's not super interesting or imaginative. Mm. It's just something that I wish existed. All right. What about you, Kit? What'd you go with for this one? What do you want out there? Yeah. Well, I do like, I do love your idea. And this idea comes with some assistance from Bop, uh, Brian on the pod. Bop had the, the name and then I had the, you know, the spark, the creative spark. And ah, so, team effort. It was a team effort. So what I wish for, as we already discussed, there is a car that was uh, called the Aries. Mm-hmm. But what I'm proposing is a Dodge Ram Aries edition. Oh, so like wow. Truck. Yeah. So it's different from the car, which does look like something I would have owned. Yeah. Um, but this Dodge Ram Aries edition wow. is, is a truck, right? And it's painted gold. Yep. And it has a flying feature that's only unlocked when you press a button that randomly ejects one of your passengers. That's wow. the only way you can activate the flying, the flying <laughs> protocols. <laughs> that's what I want. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Worthwhile. I can't wait to just select the people who I want to be my oh, co-pilot. No, it's at- 
It's at random. Oh, it's at so random. Get, it's at <laughs> random. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, your plan is definitely more ambitious. But I think uh-huh. we are ready for flying trucks. I think it's become <laughs> right. that time. And, you know, there got to be some consequences. I'm sure this uses a lot of gas, bad for right. the environment. <laughs> so the least we can do to reduce our carbon footprint <laughs> is to eject one poor, innocent uh, passenger. Yeah choose, yeah. Care- yeah, choose your passengers carefully. Yeah, you have to choose the passengers carefully. Never, never let anybody into the car. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure sociopaths are going to love this one. I can imagine Elon Musk having 10. Anyways, get the fleece blanket, Mm -hmm. heat it up, go in the truck, go for a ride, (laughs) fly around, however you want to live your life. Those are our choices for what we wish existed out there. And you know, it's only a matter of time, right? Only a matter of time before one of these wishes comes true. Thank you for joining us today as we learned all about the constellation Aries. Next month on Starry Time, we'll learn about Taurus, the bull. This has been Kit. And Jordan. Sisters, lovers of stars and stories. And we'll see you next time. On Starry Time. <laughs>